This is episode 26 of the Inner Game of Aging podcast. Welcome to the Inner Game of Aging podcast, helping you to discover how to be older without growing old. And here's your host, turning this whole idea of aging upside down, Lee Mowat. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Inner Game of Aging podcast. If Alzheimer's or dementia touches your life in any way, if you are connected with anyone who may be touched by this condition, then today's discussion will draw you in like a moth to a flame. And with today's changing demographics, most all of us will be touched by dementia in some way as the years march on. Judy Cornish has pioneered a true paradigm shift in the way we see and care for those with dementia. I have been looking at her approach for a few weeks now and have come to see it as a game changer, game changer in many ways. Our conversation is on the long side, but the topic is so relevant to today's circumstance that I decided not to break it up into parts. Judy has authored a book that outlines a new approach to dementia care and the many benefits it offers to society and those who are afflicted. Maybe because of who I am, but it took me a little while to see all the implications and advantages that she is proposing. But I have, but I have become convinced Judy is on to something here. You will hear us refer many times to Dawn, D-A-W-N. It may not be clear from our chat, so I wanted to say that Dawn is an acronym for Judy's business name, which is Dementia and Wellness Network, hence Dawn. At the end of this episode, you will hear how Insider Club members can get Judy's Dementia Handbook for free. And you can find out about the Insiders Club on the show notes page. There, there will be information on how to get in touch with Judy and more information about Dawn classes there as well. And as regular listeners, you know by now, you can visit the show notes page using the following URL, innergameofaging.com forward slash IGA26. So without any more reminders, let's jump right into this important conversation. Judy Cornish, I want to talk with you about what you've been doing with dementia for a couple of years now. Now, I have to warn my listeners, it took me a little while to truly understand what the Dawn Method was and its power. It's, it's a paradigm shift when it comes to caring for dementia. So my first question to you is, how did the Dawn Method start? We will explain everything in detail to my listeners, but let's give it a small history as to how this whole thing came about. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank, I'm, and I'm so happy to be on the show with you today, um, with <laughs> you, Lee. So, I am happy to be uh, here and with yeah. you. <laughs> so, you know, Don, um, I'm actually an elder law attorney, and I, I came to this lovely little town in northern Idaho about six and a half years ago with the intent of practicing a little law and uh, essentially retiring. And so as I was getting settled and getting to know people, I wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And a neighbor came across the street and said that they were going to have to put her mom into a care facility because she was getting too forgetful. And mm-hmm. this is a lovely woman who had you know, no physical problems. She was still swimming and, and uh, walking everywhere, very able-bodied, but she had Alzheimer's. And so I volunteered and said, uh, you know, I'd hate to see her have to leave her home, and, and I would just drop by and, and help her. And then mm. within a couple of weeks, I was looking after another neighbor, and within two months, I, I, would, I had so many people I was looking after, I needed to hire staff. That's mm. where Dawn began. And so it began with just my desire to help people who were experiencing dementia 
be able to stay in their own homes and continue to live fulfilling and busy lives. Well, that statement, that last statement starts to mark the differentiation between Dawn and the traditional care for dementia that we typically see. And yes. I wanted you to go further into that differentiation. We'll go into the more specifics of Dawn, but I need to establish why Dawn is a paradigm shift, why it's different than what we normally think of when we think of dementia care. You know, I, I think what happened um, as a lawyer and, and a friend and, and someone who just really loved these people, I'm, I didn't approach dementia or what was happening to them as if it was a disease. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the paradigm shift. What I did was look to these beautiful people, my elders, and I was looking at what they could do, not what they couldn't do. And so my focus was on the whole person and, and how mm-hmm. to help each person uh, retain as much dignity and autonomy as possible. And so in looking at what they could do rather than disease itself and what they couldn't do, I, I ended up with a completely different experience when I was providing care. What frame of, what frame of reference did you have to say that this was a complete different experience? You know, I, I, if I were caring for a person and had a lovely experience, I wouldn't know that this is so different than everybody else, except for my pleasure in dealing with these people, you know, assuming that's not the case in the, in the normal circumstance. You know. Yeah. How do, you, how do you form a frame of reference to say this is different? You know, before I became an attorney, I had spent a year working in, in a lockdown facility with people with <laughs> mental illnesses. And, oh, and my, my, my role was psychosocial skills trainer. Uh-huh. And, and yet in the same building, there was an Alzheimer's unit. And so for the people who had mental illnesses, we, we had someone who was working with their mood and, and helping them learn skills, social skills. And mm-hmm. yet on the other side of the wall, there was this much larger group of people who had Alzheimer's or, or dementia, and nobody was trying to help them. Mm. It, it was just, it was assumed it was, was disease and the approach was strictly um, to try to... Um, you know, when, when they had behaviors or, or they did something that was of danger to themselves or others, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, this was in 1999, and so restraints would be used or medications would be used to calm them. Ah. Mm. So, so when I began, um, that, that was what made me want to help my neighbors uh, mm. stay home. I, I, I didn't want to see them experience that. Mm-hmm. And um, and yet my experience was totally different. I didn't have any trouble with people being upset with me. One of my in my own examination of Dawn, it's took it's taken me a little while. I've had to actually go to it to understand it to the extent that I do now. So I have an advantage over my listeners here because I've been exploring Dawn for a little while and exploring what you've done here. And the more I do so, the more I think this is a game changer. And trying to help other people understand why this is a game changer, you're saying a lot of that as well. But you are a person that can see this stuff. Not everybody can. That's one of the things I'm coming across is, you know, you teach this, and we'll get into the courses that you teach. But in your teaching this, do you see people who are unsuited to this kind of approach? Because it does take something, personal growth. It does take a kind of personal growth to do this. What sort of, what do you see there? You know, I, I think um, there's, there's a couple of points. Um, first that, um, you know, I have a, a pretty varied background of experience. My, mm-hmm. All of my undergraduate work was in literature and art and languages and music. Um, and then I do an art, a, a, a law degree. So my earlier life, I spent um, in the arts, in the creative world, using intuitive thought um, mm. to a great degree. And, and then, you know, later, midway through um, adult life, I go to law school. And mm. I had a personal experience that I think uh, made it more likely that I would see a pattern. Mm. And so um, when, I, when I left this very creative world and... Um, you know, field of study, and suddenly went to law school, I found it very difficult. 
very uncomfortable emotionally. And the reason mm. was that I had, repl I had been so used to using intuitive thought. And all of a sudden, I came to a world where I had to use rational thought exclusively. And so for me to go from intuitive thought to rational thought was a very uncomfortable experience. And then fast forward a few, um, about a decade or so, and all of a sudden, I, I begin working with the, my neighbors, these people with dementia. And I, you know, at first, I just couldn't put my finger on it. But I knew that I could see them experiencing something distressing that I mm. felt myself. And all of a sudden, one day, it was, you know, about eight or nine months into this, I suddenly realized that I felt distressed when I couldn't use intuitive thought anymore. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, everybody I was working with, they were feeling distressed because they couldn't use rational thought anymore. And mm. as soon as I saw that piece of the puzzle, then the rest of it started falling into place. And and so the 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 real game changer with uh, with the Dawn method, and we'll talk about the tools in a bit, but, oh, yeah. you know, this first bit, and this I call the philosophy or the underpinnings of, of what we do at Dawn, it's really simple. And I, there's no way I would have seen this pattern unless I'd been working with such a variety of people. You know, I have, mm. um, over the years, we've had um, housewives and artists and ranchers, but we have two universities here. So I've also had physicists and geologists and all kinds of scientists and uh, professors and, um, you know. As dementia care people? As my as client, care patient? as people, mm -hmm. people experiencing dementia. And when you have such okay. a variety of personalities, and of course, some of those people were very good at using rational thought. Others were very good at using intuitive thought. But all of them experienced distress when they when they were no longer able to use rational thought to navigate daily life. Mm. And of course, we know mm. they were all losing memory too. Yes. But yes. but here's you know there's three basic uh, uh, things that I saw that are a pattern, and it doesn't matter if you are a kind-hearted, empathetic person or not. If you can just become aware of these three. Uh, this, there's three abilities and three disabilities. And if, uh -huh. you rec and if you become aware of it and you can recognize it in yourself, you can't help ah. see it in a person when they have dementia. Uh, so you're suggesting that anyone who can see these three areas of strength, areas of weakness, can apply the Dawn tools. True. Yes. And the first yes. one is that they, they are losing rational thought, but not intuitive thought. And, and yes, it's very difficult to navigate a, a technological world or to do tasks. Mm, oh, God. Or to make it on a... My recent stroke showed me that. <laughs> yeah, right. But, but intuitive thought is really all the good stuff in life. You know? There's, there's where beauty resides. Right. There's where love, appreciation, and a sense of goodness yes. reside it's all in there. our intuitive thinking yeah mm -hmm. our intuitive skills that's our unconscious thinking you know we can't help but use intuitive thought it's it's unconscious and it's and it's instantaneous and and when you know when when a baby's born and the mm. baby is there in the first months of life looking at its parents and and it is learning intuitively using experience and it's learning what mom's facial expressions mean and what tone of voice means and body language. And, and so we start right from birth and we're using all of this experiential learning and, and what we're uh, finding out is we're, we're learning how to evaluate other people's feelings from intonation oh, yes. and nonverbal communication of all kinds. And mm. uh, we learn about our own feelings. You know, when, when you mm. feel sad, you feel sad. It do, you don't have to think about it in order to begin feeling sad or happy. <laughs> you know, happy just is an instantaneous thing that occurs. But, That's right. you know, people also, um, you know, thinking about beauty when, when you see a picture for the first time. You don't have to think about it. Just the moment you see it, you either like it or you yes. don't. Exactly. Exactly. And, and when you smell something, you don't have to think about it. If it's baked, mm -hmm. if it's cookies baking, you like it. Mm -hmm. 
So this is all our intuitive thinking that you're talking about here. And I can identify with this, especially the rational part. My experience after the stroke was I had very little, my rational thinking was rather, the sequence of things really confused me. The knowing what came first, how to tie a knot. Right. It was just a puzzle for me just to tie a knot. That's right. That's because that's a series (laughs) of steps. And so what, you know, when, what you experienced with your stroke, um, with a stroke, you, you're able to use, um, to rebuild your rational thought skills. But that yes. the person who's experiencing dementia cannot. And they are they are gradually, sometimes quickly, sometimes it seems like overnight, losing more and more rational thought skills. So what that can be scary. It is scary. <laughs> it is. And mm. so, you know, rational thought, um, there's a few key things that you'll see a person with dementia lose. And that one you just described is being able to follow a sequence. Yes. When it's yes. gone, you simply cannot, you, you can't do it after those skills are mm. gone with dementia. So, so the thing is, for those of us who are going to live with somebody with dementia or work with people who have dementia, we just need to recognize that. We need to mm. recognize that they are retaining intuitive thought and all the good things that involves. Being able to feel love and joy and... and uh, so the qualification for being able to implement the Dawn set of tools is, one, being able to understand, distinguish between rational and intuitive thought, and to see that in yourself as well. Yes. Once you can see it there, you can see it in others. That's right. And that qualifies you for, you know, for this sort of paradigm shift that I refer to. That's right. You know, so. And then the next one, so that's the first thing in the pattern. Mm-hmm. The second one is, and it's another concept, and it's something I don't think we think about very much, but we need to think about ourselves in these terms. We have both a remembering self and an experiential self. And Okay, define them. And so, uh, and, and this, I, I read about it first in Daniel Kahneman's book, thinking fast and slow, which is all about Mm -hmm. intuitive and rational thought. But, Mm -hmm. um, and then as I thought about it, it it occurred to me that these two selves, the remembering self and the experiential self, is exactly how to explain the experience of dementia. The person who is experiencing dementia is losing the remembering self. So as they become unable to recall what has gone before, they are left more and more just in the present. And the more yes. you're in the present, the more you are using your experiential self. Now, the really sad thing about this is that, you know, so often you'll hear a family member or somebody in a care facility. And, um, you know, I, I hear it way too often, but the, the aide will say to me, well, it doesn't matter because he won't remember anyways. Uh, or a family member will say, well, what's the matter if I come visit? She won't remember anyways. Well, mm. the reason it matters is because we have two selves. And even if we become unable to use this remembering self, the, the one that has mm-hmm. nostalgia and, and likes to look back and recall happy experiences or, or thinks back and, and feels sad because they are recalling pr- our earlier experiences that weren't happy. When mm-hmm. that goes away, we still have our experiential self. And and this experiential self is gathering information, is is us fully in the moment. And everything mm-hmm. that occurs, we are recording. We are receiving. We are um, receiving information from, from all five of our senses. And that's interesting. I can sort of see the picture since we are still recording what's happening in the moment when i see you again i will feel sense not necessarily know from an, a, a sequence point of view but i will feel and sense what happened before That's not right that, yeah yes and so my ability yeah. to trust you comes from all the experiences we have even though i remember none of that's them. right i can give you a great story about that um and it taught me a very valuable lesson about the experiential self um i had been working with a woman for about three years and at first, she had been a real type A personality and um, rather difficult. She just was not the kindest or gentlest personality. 
and she was used mm-hmm. to telling people what to do. She had a, a pretty high position in, in one of our local universities. And so as her dementia progressed, we really had to work hard to teach her that she was safe receiving care. And, and so mm. she did learn it. And it took in, so we're three or four years in, and she's really come to trust me. And she knows mm-hmm. she can't remember my name. She cannot remember her family members. She doesn't know any of the factual information that a rational thought would bring her if she still had any. However, mm-hmm. she does know whenever I come into her presence, she just gets a sense. And that's because okay. she has learned using intuitive thought experientially she's learned that whenever i'm around everything's okay okay and, and then one does day does she recognize your face nope nope does she recognize your face okay no, every time i okay. come she looks a little quizzical and she's just not sure who's with her but i'm polite and she's polite and then pretty soon she relaxes because she kind of senses mm. you know the, the, who i am mm-hmm. one day yes. i have to take her to the doctor for him to give her a mini mental that that series of questions, the little tests that, that doctors give to assess how far a person is in their dementia. Mm-hmm. And I sat there, and while I was with her and he was testing her, I did not help her. And at first, she kept turning to me for help. She was expecting me to do what I always did. Just when some kind of a rational question was asked or information was needed, I just filled it in. I would just chatter away so she mm-hmm. didn't have to worry about not having rational thought or memory. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. I didn't. And over the space of 10 minutes, I, I sat there and she sat there. And it was so painful for me to do it. And she began to, she, she began to wring her hands. And she, you know, her voice was breaking. And she was almost in tears. Mm-hmm. And, and she just basically came to pieces and when he was done he 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 um, leaves the room and I'm helping her get her coat on and gather up her purse and the poor woman is just shattered she has just had a 10-minute experience um, explaining or making it very clear to her that that her brain is broken and she feels incredibly at risk and that was the last time she ever trusted me she spent wow. from that day forward, whenever something really unpleasant, she has to go to a doctor or do something, we send me with her because she knows from that very first experience that that being with Judy is dangerous. Whoever that woman is, she's dangerous. And so then wow. we had to make sure my other her other caregivers um, did all the happy things with her. Wow. So. Now I can see this. Now, let's get into some of the details of the Dawn Method. But before we do, I have to tell you, and my listeners specifically, I've had the blessed opportunity to explore this more than my listeners have, most of my listeners have at this time. And it took me a little while to wrap my head around it, but the more I did, the more rewarded it became for me. One of the phrases that you used to help me understand this was the dawn method of dementia care is really a set of tools and these set of tools help you become not a caregiver to the dementia patient but a teammate to the dementia person now these two phrases were very significant for me in understanding so i wanted to repeat these for my listeners what they're about to hear as we describe the tools See if you can fit it into these kind of, we're talking about a set of tools that help you become a teammate to the person you're caring for. Right. And so, so let's get into these set of tools now. I had to come up with a set of tools for working with emotional problems, not behavioral Mm. problems, but emotional problems. And so this is what the Dawn Method is. Um, You know, I I help families understand these abilities that stay, but I train them with the Dawn Method. It's just seven tools or seven sets of techniques for, Mm. for learning how to recognize the emotional problem that's driving or causing the person to behave in a certain way. And so that's the seven tools of the Dawn Method. It's, um, you know, we know from Abraham Maslow and his 
his hierarchy, hierarchy of, needs. Of, of human needs. Yep. You know, the, I don't think the pyramid is an accurate way to look at it. I, I think we have to look at it more in a, a feedback loop um, type of thing. But we do, his theory is correct. We do need to feel secure if we are ever to feel happy. And so when I was working with my, my friends, my loved ones, I, um, I could see security needs. This, this experience of losing your memory and losing rational thought, it's terrifying. It's, it's terrifying Absolutely. to know that your brain isn't working anymore. And That's... that confusion is really uh, scary. And then yes, I can imagine. it leads you to the second realization that you will no longer be able to care for yourself. And, mm. and so that's the first, you know, I, I, I say there are three security needs when you get dementia. And security and confusion and security and care. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's tools two and three that I teach families. And, well, let's start, off, let's start off the beginning okay. because we had a previous conversation where you went through all seven tools in such a wonderful way. And I don't want to deprive my listeners of that. Okay. You know, the, the, the Dawn Method consists of seven tools which you've developed, and you teach these to people over a course of time. Yes. And I'm hoping I can get a course, or my wife can take such a course before I get to nature. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but, you know, so, you know, to help people understand what this is, let's start off with the tools. Tool number one, you've divided into categories, but you explained this so much better than I have. All right. So. Well, yeah. And I, I'm, so the very first tool is mood management. And mood management. This is critical. It is where we all start. And this is where people are the most confused. And it causes more trouble than anything else with dementia. And mm. the reason is that in no other time of life do we go about managing somebody else's moods. And actually, a lot of us aren't really good at managing our own. Um, That's absolutely, absolutely now, true. Spending time <laughs> with somebody with dementia will teach you to manage your moods in very, very good ways. And, and that has certainly happened to me. But um, the reason mm -hmm. somebody who's got dementia can't manage mood is because they're losing rational thought. And if you really think mm -hmm. about it, the way we manage our own moods is with rational thought and memory. So, you know, if, I'm, if mm. I feel sad about something, I can recall a happier event or a happier time, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that'll make me feel better. Or And that's a tool to get I, I, I just changed you know, my better. mood. Or, you know, mm -hmm. I could be driving down the street and somebody cuts in front of me and cuts me off. And I can use rational thought. I can reason with myself. You know, I can say to myself, well, that's, you know, that might be a student. And they just got to Moscow and they don't understand that we're really mm -hmm. polite and use turn signals here mm -hmm. in town. So I, I reason <laughs> myself out of it. Or, I, Oh, you know, you're, you're opening my eyes. I did not realize how instrumental rational thought is in mood management. It is. It's critical. I did not realize yep. that. I agree. So when I lose that, I'm losing more than I thought. Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> my ability to manage my own so mood. So that person so. who's got dementia and, and um, you know, maybe the family member walks into the room or the spouse walks into the room and they have a worried expression on their face. The person with dementia doesn't have any rational thoughts. So they can't say to themselves, oh, my husband, he just came home from work. He must be worried about something at work. That would be rational mm -hmm. thought. Um, without rational thought, the person with dementia looks at the other person's expression and thinks, oh my, there must be something to be worried about. Now they are worried. Mm. So, so mm. this is the most critical thing I can teach families is when, when you're with someone with dementia, you must really be aware of your nonverbal non communication. And whatever mm. emotion you bring is the emotion they will pick up. They've got no defense against it. So, wow. so think about people like they, you know, you come to visit your mom and she's in a, in a care facility and boy, by the time you get to her room, you just feel so badly about what's going on in her life. And you get there just full of sorrow. You have just brought her sorrow. And so, you know, wow. what you can do, what we do, you know, and this is what I teach families and caregivers is take a break 
fix your own mood. Just stop mm -hmm. and stop thinking about everything that, that happened in the past and you're worried about or it's still happening and you're not sure how it'll turn out or, you know, something you're worrying about later tonight or later today. Forget about all of that. Mm. Do, do what the person with dementia must do and move yourself absolutely into the present. And once you are firmly in the moment, then just look around and, and what is there? Look for beauty. It, mm. You know, if, if you can go get something that tastes good, go out, go out you know, get outside. Go, go get a hot chocolate. You know, Judy, this is, this is so much more than care for dementia. This is care for ourselves as yeah. well. You yeah. Know, the personal growth that goes on here is rather significant and just in this first one yeah. alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. And I, I've slipped into talking about being mindful, haven't I? Yes, and that's a it, good thing. It is, but you see, I can only be mindful. I can only use mindfulness if I have rational thought. Because when I talked about, you know, clearing away all my worries, I was consciously using focus and I was making a, a, a conscious decision to choose my mood. Mm. And now the person with dementia is not able to do that. And so that's actually the third uh, part of the pattern that I hadn't mentioned yet. Mm -hmm. is that those of okay. us with healthy brains, we can be mindful. And when we're mindful, we can focus in on good things and, and stay present. And, and that's mm. really healthy for a healthy brain. The person with dementia yes. has lost that. But they have not lost mindlessness. And nobody talks about mindlessness, but it's... <laughs> now explain that. Explain that. <laughs> I know. Um, it's an ability. It's something good. In dementia, I, I think mindful mm -hmm. mindfulness is as healthy for the healthy brain as mindlessness is for the brain with dementia. And the reason is that okay. to be mindless is to use um, to be using muscle memory and automatic thinking scripts. And so the person with dementia still can do that. And, the, and if, we, if we don't move them, if they're still living in a, in a familiar location, they will successfully mm -hmm. use automatic thinking scripts and muscle memory for much longer. So they'll be able to function mm -hmm. easier. So I'm digressing. I'm moving away from tool number one and, <laughs> and mood man management. But It's just so fascinating because this, you've explored areas that I have not yet even thought about. I, you know, you know so, so I'm so fascinated the, the by thing it. Is, the more I worked on this, so I've been puzzling this out now for six years. And I've been writing about it and creating a training program since 2014. But um, the symbol we use is a flower. And, and so mood management is the center of the flower. And it's the source of life. Mm -hmm. It's where you, you, when you're with people with dementia, you're always managing mood. Because they never can, and then the um, the sepals that go around the center of the flower—that's um, the, the second and third tools. That's that's helping them develop a sense of security in confusion and a sense of security in care. And those are two things you're going to teach them. So you're doing that all the time too. Because just like my, my baby. let's move on to the second okay. tool because uh, you know, like I want to make sure we cover all seven tools. Yeah. And you have some fascinating concepts coming down the road here with these other tools. So I want to make sure we touch on those. What is the second tool that we teach? What, how do you The second that? tool is, is um, security and confusion. So Security in confusion. Yeah. So we have to accept the constraints that dementia gives us. We know that this person will have to live in confusion and that it's going to get worse. So we can't change that. And what do we do then? Well, then we help them feel secure, even though they are more and more confused. And and so, you know, it's really a very simple thing. Um, if I'm losing rational thought and I'm losing memory, what if the, the, my, my companion is a team, teammate mm -hmm. with me? And let, what if my companion were to use rational thought and memory on my behalf? Mm. This is where being a teammate comes in. And this is where we, you know, yes. this, this is a, 
when you're with somebody with dementia, it's a care relationship. It's not a treatment relationship. Yes. This is how I started to understand. This is how I started to embrace the Dawn Method, how I started to come alive to what's there. You know, you're, you're managing someone else's mood. You're managing their confusion or insecurity as they get confused and you become a teammate. You're, you're giving them through your mind, your healthy brain, you're giving them what they don't no longer have and they can sense that and start to treat you as a teammate. Yep. So, So, um, you know, when, when somebody's confused, they're, they're really in need of information. Now, the healthy Mm. brain is always feeding you information. And I know when, like when I was trying to get ready, set up here to do this uh, podcast with you and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I had to Mm -hmm. um, get to the right uh, website and I I have to get all the the headphones and everything all connected. Well, my rational thought was just chattering away nonstop telling me what to do next. (laughs) And and, oh, and I need to Mm. remember to unplug the phone and I should turn off my cell phone. And and that was my rational thought listing all of that for me. (laughs) But if I have dementia, that's not happening. And, and the person with dementia, either that voice, the voice in our heads that is always telling us what's coming next, either that voice has gone Mm -hmm. silent, or maybe it's intermittent. You know, I don't think we know. I don't think we've done tests to find out. But boy, mm. you can sure tell when you're with someone with dementia that that they just aren't anticipating what's coming up next. So what what do I do? Yes. Be a teammate. Yes. I just chatter. And so, you know, my my uh, client and I, let's say we need to um, go get groceries. Well, I'm just going to be chattering. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to be giving orders. I won't be directive. I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not a doctor telling her the correct sure. uh, diagnosis and the correct treatment to follow. That would be directive. But I'm not in a, the- a position yes. of authority. I'm a care partner. And so I will be saying to her, um, oh, well, I guess we do need to go get some milk, don't we? Okay, well, let's see. Should we write a list? Uh, here's a piece of paper. Here's a pen. Okay, great. All right. I'm always forgetting everything, so we have to write this down, or you know me, I'll forget about the milk. So there we go. We got milk on the list, and what else do we need? Let's look in the cupboards. And I just chatter. I do all the rational uh-huh. thinking that my brain does for me because I'm healthy, and hers is not doing for her. Mm-hmm. As we go uh-huh. get in the car. I know she can't remember where we're going because we just walked outside. Now it's all new. All that chatter's gone. So as we get in the car, I will be saying, oh, well, let's go to to Safeways because I really like Safeways. We could go to Rosars too, but I I think Safeways is better. Shall we go to Safeways? And I'll just chatter, reminding her what our mission is. And when we get there, I know she can't remember what Safeways means. So I will, as we're getting out of the car, I'm just chattering away happily about, oh, well, here we are at Safeways. We're going to get some more groceries. You know, we should go in this store. Let's get a, let's get a cart. You, just, you know, <laughs> you would never do this to a person with a healthy brain because it would drive them insane uh-huh. because they have their own rational thought chatter going on in their head. Yes, but, yes. Interesting. This is, this is so interesting. Your explanations are even deepening my own understanding here. Yeah, I thought I understood it to some degree, and I and I do. But every time I hear you explain this to me, Judy, it it deepens my understanding of what goes on here inside of a, a brain with dementia. <laughs> yes, you know like what what they cannot do and what they still can do. These are important distinctions to make. So, uh, you know, I feel privileged in understanding these concepts with you. I really do. It's not anything I have thought about. Yeah, before. no, we don't. You know? This and is I'm... it's such an odd situation. It's not like raising children. You know, to to lose <laughs> rational thought and memory doesn't help in others doesn't occur in other relationships. Our children mm, grew in rational that... thought. They got better at it. Mm. One of the reasons why I call this a paradigm shift is because just a simple understanding that dementia patients may no longer have rational thought. That itself is a game changer, how it plays out 
in your dealings with them, becoming a teammate or a partner with them, that plays out quite heavily. That's a significant fact. But the other things you are mentioning, even the chattering that you were doing because they can't do that chatter themselves. This is, it's very interesting to hear what you've done with this. It's very interesting, but let's move on. I'm, I'm just impressed. I've been impressed with the Dawn method since I've discovered it through you and I'm just fascinated to hear you talk about it. Okay, so the third tool then would be helping them learn to feel secure, even though um, they're going to need more and more care. So I call it security and care. And and when you think about mm-hmm. um, what would what would it take for somebody to be to feel secure having me look after them? Well, you know, number one, they'd have to feel that it was okay to be confused around me, and so that means, you mm. know, we we. I teach most of it in, in, um, with tool number two, but if you want the person to feel safe with you, you've got to take it one step further. And what that means is never test their memory. And that is something that you see people do all the time to their loved ones with dementia. Mm. And we do it for the best of reasons. Mm. You know, we do it because we want them to retain their memory as long as possible that we are mm-hmm. not understanding what's really going on. They, they are losing memories. You know, they're losing uh, factual information about who's who and who looks like what and which name applies to which family member. But they are also losing the actual ability to use memory. And that means when we try to test their memory, we are just setting them up to fail. And if you keep uh, asking somebody with dementia uh, questions, they will fail their memory will fail them. Mm. And so they will begin to feel unsafe with you because you're going to embarrass them. You're going to put them on the spot. But if you Mm. never put them on the spot and you never embarrass them, then they know that even though they're confused, when they're with you, they're safe. And that's the first part. Mm. And then, of course, you've got to think also about, is it safe to be with Judy when, when we have to get a task done? You know, there's, there's something needs to be done. Do I embarrass them? Mm. Do I um, ask them to see sequence, to see numerous steps in a mm-hmm. task and require that they re- recall it? If I do, they won't feel safe with me. But if I behave like mm. a teammate and we do the task together and we succeed together, uh, then they will feel like whenever they're with me, it doesn't matter. Nothing's a problem. Everything gets done. fourth tool is social success. How do you help somebody feel successful Mm. socially when they have no memory? You know, when you think about conversations, Mm. we, we enter into conversations with people and, and um, we leave out all the facts because we both know we remember them. You know, so if I bump into a girlfriend Mm. uh, on main street here, I'll say, Hey Louise, how are you? And she'll say, fine. How's it going? Great. What happened with that on Tuesday night? Oh, no problem at all. We didn't have any trouble Tuesday night. She and I remember all kinds Mm -hmm. of information, but in addition, as we progress through the conversation, both of us are recalling what was said before the person with dementia can't do that. And so they're constantly Mm -hmm. embarrassed. They're always saying the wrong thing. They're, they're way out in left field. And then, then everybody feels awkward wow. and there's this kind of silent pause and, and it gets more embarrassing. And, and then pretty soon they just start avoiding friends and family because they don't like being embarrassed. And friends and family mm. avoid them because they don't know how to deal with a person who can't use recall. Of course, this is not that's social, social failure. And that's how normal interactions <laughs> yeah. go with dementia in America. And it doesn't have to be that mm. way. So all we have to do is just pay attention to what they can and can't do. We know they can't use memory. If they can't use memory, then I should make sure if I've got memory that I do use mine for them. So... Give me an example of how you might do that. How you well, might... this is a small town, so and we get our clients out all the time. We're always trying to stay out of the house, you know, go do something, go for a scenic drive mm-hmm. or go for coffee or go to the swimming pool or 
uh, you know, go to exercise class. And mm -hmm. as soon as we get someplace, like we walk into exercise class, there's somebody that knows our client from church. Over they come. And, and my client, of course, let's call her Mary. She sees this woman coming straight for her with a big smile on her face. Mary knows that this woman knows her and she can tell this lady knows her well. And Mary is in a panic. She is pulling a complete blank. She has no idea who's coming towards her. Now, maybe I don't wow. know this person either, but when they get there and they say, hi, Mary, how are you? I didn't see you last Sunday. Then I will interject and I'll say, oh, hi, I don't know you. My name's Judy. What's your name? Now I got a piece of factual information Mary cannot recall. And so then I, then, mm. you know, the woman might say, well, I'm Jane. And she's a little uh, confused by the way I'm in getting in the middle of their conversation maybe and maybe a little put out but so jane's a little yeah <laughs> and so jane says i'm jane and i'll say well jane so you and mary are great friends now where did you two get to know each other and and maybe i'll add in you know i'm a new friend of mary's i've only known mary for a couple of months mm -hmm. well now jane knows you That's know i'm giving clues <laughs> here but as we go forward jane mm -hmm. catches on She'll, number one, she's going to start realizing that Mary's having memory problems. But number two, I'm modeling mm. for her what you do when somebody can't use recall. You just keep saying the facts over That's and over right. for them. And on the other hand, Mary is feeling safer Excellent. and safer with me. Right? So I'm re, you know, but this I can is... give Mary a moment of social success that will, that will improve her mood for a long time. It'll stick for hours. Wow. If I manage the conversation wow. for her that's where it comes to being yes. a teammate what she doesn't have you do and you offer it to mary the client in terms of your own rational thinking collecting right. facts for her and helping her to understand what's happening yep. in that moment. exactly so. that's right that's number four and and that's just that's okay. happiness that's well-being <laughs> number five is sense of control so just like happiness, I can give somebody a sense of social success in moments. And I can also give somebody a sense of being in control of autonomy in moments. And, mm -hmm. and this is critically important with dementia because if you don't have memory, you can't hold information in your mind. And if you can't hold information in your mind, you can't make decisions because you can't keep the choices available. Mm. And and this mm. this gets compounded. It, it gets worse because even if you could recall what your choices were, you wouldn't be able to analyze them and pick the best one because you don't have rational thought. And so people who mm. are experiencing dementia are becoming less and less able to experience control over themselves or over their environment. But that's the constraint of dementia. And if I'm paying attention to the abilities and the disabilities, then if I'm a teammate mm -hmm. as a care partner, I can make it easier for my loved one to make decisions. And all I have to do is use my own memory and my own rational thought. And mm -hmm. so, so the first thing I'm going to do is instead of saying, what do you feel like having for lunch? Which uh. would ask... The, them to consider what's in the cupboards, what's available, and then analyze which one might be, e you know, maybe the easiest for me to pre prepare, and then what they would like to eat, maybe what mm -hmm. I would like to eat. Oh, Too many oh, questions. That, all of that is rational <laughs> thought and memory. So I don't do that. Yes. I, I, I recall using my memory that she really likes soup. And so I'll say, well, what would you like for lunch? Shall I make soup or would you prefer a sandwich? Now I've given her the ideas, mm. and, and it's much easier to choose between two options. I've given her an either-or. This is, this is I, again, I'm sort of impressed because these skills that you are talking about, they're, they're skills that we all can learn, and they do wonders for us in many areas, not just in caring for our loved ones who yeah. may have dementia. You know, in, in dealing with other people, you know, giving them smaller choices, trying to understand what they can and can't do. This is, you know, this, this is personal growth we're talking about here, Judy. And 
<laughs> and everybody should be interested in some form or another in personal True. growth. That's one of the reasons why I latched on to the Dawn Method because I saw my own personal growth in being able to increase the skills that I have in dealing with people and people with dementia yeah. specifically. Yep. So, um, so can can you give me another example of that um, tool five and yeah, um, restricting choices from them because they can't just you just know, any other okay, example? Okay, so the other thing I teach of. people is to use. Um, catchphrases so uh, you know and i had mm -hmm. to look up the meaning and it, it's it you know it means kind of a uh, a phrase that you use repetitive you know the mm -hmm. same words that get repeated all the time and and so it's it's like and if you can add alliteration it, it's even better <laughs> so we're always trying to put alliteration <laughs> on that's when you have the first letter of each word is the same but yep, I, I think the reason is. that catchphrases work so well with dementia is because it's kind of like tunes or melodies. So if I give you a single word, if I say Monday, that's factual information. Um, one day of the week mm -hmm. is called Monday. And um, we had a client who was a real, um, well, she'd been a professor. And so, you know, having mm. a good, her handle on what the schedule was and knowing the day what day of the week it was and knowing what time it was and knowing what her appointments were and you know and, and keeping track of everything was really important to her and yet she was becoming less and less able to recall facts and so she we would find her constantly going back to the calendar every time it occurred to her to wonder what day it was she had to get up and go back to the calendar and so she was in this this uh, behavioral loop of constantly checking the calendar, and it was very distressing for her. Mm -hmm. How what could we do? And so we decided that what we would do is um, create a catchphrase for every day of the week. And so for this woman, um, she liked going out to eat maple bars on Mondays. And of course, then we didn't have Monday anymore. We had Maple Bar Monday, and. Then she liked, uh, you know, okay. and she was still at the point where she didn't need to have someone with her at all times. She had an activity for every day. And so from Maple Bar Monday, then, of course, we had Tuesday tea, which was also alliteration. Mm -hmm. Wednesday, you know, every yeah. day of the week or every Wednesday was ice cream day. And so we couldn't make alliteration there, but mm -hmm. we had Wednesday ice cream. And uh, Thursday, okay. senior lunch. And, you know, and so I, we just made a catchphrase out of it, every yeah. day of the week. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, that would help. So yeah, I can whenever see we, help, we get so. somebody who's um, unable to retain information, but they need it in order to feel in control, we, we will look for mm. a catchphrase that we can add to make it into something possible. possible. Okay. But that, so that's the fifth tool. Okay. 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 Let's number six. six. Um, a sense of value, <laughs> uh -huh. and this is another well-being uh, ah. tool or well-being need. We all have to feel mm -hmm. that we have some value in our relationships. And one of the most debilitating things about having dementia is that um, everybody has to look after you, and you have nothing to contribute. And mm. and so here are these very capable adults who are also very capable elders. And all of a sudden, they be start becoming unable to do even the simplest things on somebody else's behalf, let alone on behalf of themselves. And that's a horrible thing to mm. find yourself the one who's always being cared for, always needy. So we really work hard to make sure that people do have a sense of value. And and each of these things, these, you know, this the four well-being tools, my Dawn caregivers, we make mm -hmm. sure it happens every day, every time, if, every shift. So give me give me an example of how we might implement, yeah, you know, I mean, I know I want my teammate, dementia teammate to feel a sense of contribution in whatever social yeah. environment he's in. How might I, how, give me an example I'm of how I'm always looking occur. for some part of the task that, that um, my loved one with dementia can, can take part in. And if I can't find one, I will mm -hmm. fake it. So with one gentleman, he was really quite far along, very confused. And um, he really couldn't help at all. And in, in fact, 
I, I think for him, all activities in the household had magically occurred uh, due to his wife. So <laughs> he really couldn't help it with anything. But what I would do is every time we were getting ready to leave, I would make sure that my keys were on the table, in the middle of the kitchen table. And although this man could never have found um, the sugar cubes in the bowl in the middle of the table when he was looking for them, when he wanted sugar in his tea, I would, every time, I'd stand up and I'd start getting my purse and my coat and I'd say, oh man, you know, I can't, where to put my keys? I cannot find my keys. I lose my keys all the time. If I, if my head wasn't attached, I would lose it, I think is what my mom used to say. Mm -hmm. And it did him so much mm -hmm. good to be able to point out my keys. I knew he would Excellent find them example. if I put them right Excellent in front example. of him. And it just gave him a charge every day. It was so um, uplifting. He helped wow. me find my keys instead of being the one who was always forgetful. So that's just a Great. little. I can, I can see where that would make his day. I can see where that you would know, make his day. You know, but you know, also we need to think about when, when we walk into somebody's room and so often I'll see an aide go into a room in a care facility and not make eye contact. You know, when somebody walks mm. into your office or into your home, if they don't make eye contact, there's a very strong message given. Yes. It is. You've been told that you do not matter. Mm -hmm. So if we just make mm. eye contact, mm. it's, it's a huge, very important for people who are so using intuitive thought. Well. Now, okay, the seventh, seventh tool. I have some okay, important questions. Seventh after tool this. is secure future, and it sounds like mm -hmm. a security issue, and it's not. It's a happiness issue or a well-being issue, and I actually spent about a year trying to get rid of it, but it won't go away. All of my clients <laughs> go through this. They need to have a sense that the future is secure, and and the reason this is a happiness um, issue is because they become it. There, something becomes a symbol of security. Sometimes it's a behavior. Sometimes it's an activity. Um, but everybody develops it. Now, if you think about those of us with healthy brains, we go through life, we have experiences, and certain things in our childhood shape the way that we choose to live life. And so I have a friend mm. who, who had lived a very poor childhood, and so all he knew was that when he grew up, he was going to go to college and get a degree. And so his sense of security mm -hmm. came from earning this degree. You know, other people feel safe because of a certain amount of money in the bank. You know, I have, I have another friend. It's, it's all yep. about the money in the bank. I, you know, I have a friend who feels secure because of the club she belongs to. She's in a certain social group, <laughs> and that makes her feel like she's made it. Her, mm -hmm. her future is secure. Mm -hmm. But but when dementia strikes, you know, <laughs> these things that made us feel secure earlier, they become, you know, almost like caricatures, a, a, a symbol of something that was once mm -hmm. logical based on earlier life experiences. And now they can become these very limiting behaviors, these repetitive behaviors. So one of my clients, okay. uh, for her, yeah. it was how much money was in the bank. And... You know, in the early stages, she began, She became unable to make sense out of a bank statement. So she would get the bank statement in, in the mm. mail, and, you know, and she was having trouble with the checkbook. And so she began to feel very insecure about how much money was in the bank. And this turned into the need to be taken to the bank every day. Every day she needed to go there. She needed wow. to stand in front of a teller, and she needed the teller to turn the screen her way and say, see – this is how much money's in your bank account today. And then she could relax. So what could we do? We wanted to, to free her from this behavior that was becoming very, uh, very, very uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. so what we did, and, you know, and I just told my caregivers, I says, okay, every time we're with Mary, as soon as you get there within a few minutes, make sure that you congratulate her on how lucky she was to save so much money. And you could say, oh, and you're so lucky to have married a man that was so good with money and saved his money so well. And you too, oh, and you're so lucky. And, you know, mm -hmm. we even said you're so lucky you put your money in that particular bank because what a safe bank it is. So it took wow. us about two months. But after two months, she had learned experientially that 
she was good with money, that her money was safe, that there was lots of money. And it that did. secured her future. Yeah. You know, I had another future. one, a gentleman who, um, within five minutes of, of arriving at his home to work with him, he would tell you, he'd say, you know, mm -hmm. about three years ago, my wife died. Well, actually, like 10 years ago now, but about three years ago, my wife died. And I'm um, 84. And a man needs a wife. And this was his security symbol. He needed a wife. And so what we would do is say, yes, you're right. You're right. And how about we go get some coffee? You know, maybe, and he'd say, that'd be great. Let's go get coffee. Maybe we'll meet a woman. And off we'd go to a coffee shop and, <laughs> you know, bless them in this small town. They would, you know, we'd go into the coffee shop and, and he had hearing problems and he would boom out. <laughs> Well, look at her. Isn't she, there's a good one. And, and whoever it was, she, she'd say, well, hello, John, how are you? Come on over. Yes, you can sit with me. My husband won't mind. And, and so, you know, we all worked with that sense of secure future. He just needed uh -huh. to go to be doing the activity of going out to, you know, because a man sure. needed a wife. So, so sometimes it is not logical. Sometimes it, it's quite odd. But if this is a happiness need it's something we do now i've 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 heard you talk about these seven steps this whole thing is incredibly perceptive to see the needs of others in this way and to address these needs it's incredibly perceptive of you to have seen all this i still say even though you'll disagree i still say that you are a special uh, person yeah. Just be able to see all this. You know, you can deny it if you wish, but I don't think that I could have seen all the things that you have seen to develop this approach to dementia care. And, you know, it's it's funny because you've used words like yeah. teammate, our loved one with dementia, not right. a, a dementia patient, but yeah. our loved one with dementia and, you know, yeah. our partner. It, you know, you've used terms that are so much more endearing and so much more connected than the terms that I would normally hear in this. And, you know, why I look at myself and I say, there is so much personal growth here for me to embrace these kinds of concepts, not just in dealing with mm -hmm. my loved ones with dementia. Yeah. Yep. I think I got that right. <laughs> <laughs> but also in dealing with everybody, you, my wife, my children, everybody. There's so much here for me to learn. This concept that you are promoting, it's, I'm thinking of the impact that you are making here. It is not just with dementia. So we've reached the other side of this conversation, and I hope you are as intrigued as I am and can see the ramifications, both personal and cultural, for what Judy is proposing here. Judy would like to give away five copies of her book, The Dementia Handbook, How to Care for Dementia at Home, to five Insider Club members. On the show notes page for this episode, you will find details of how you can get one of these five copies. Who knows, if they go real fast, I might be able to convince Judy to offer up some more copies. You can find information about the book on the show notes page, and there you will also find other information involving Dawn and the classes they offer. You can find more information about Judy herself as well, if you, should you want to contact her. The offer to get the Dementia Handbook for free will we'll be placed on the show notes page in a few days after this episode is released. So if you don't see it immediately, try again in about two or at most three days. Meanwhile, explore the other resources and links that are there. Insider Club members will be notified immediately when the offer has been placed on the show notes page. If you'd like to contact me directly, you can do so with the following email address. Lee at innergameofaging.com, all one word. You can also get a hold of me using my Twitter handle at 
Limawat. Again, all one word. Or connect with me on Facebook. I have neglected to mention that the Inner Game of Aging has a Facebook page. Stay alert for news regarding what will be happening for you on this page. It should be exciting. The page will not be neglected for much longer. We have some great topics coming up for you in the upcoming episodes, so subscribe to this podcast on your podcast player so you don't miss any of this. And until next time. Thanks for listening to the Inner Game of Aging podcast with Lee Mo Watt. Check out more content by going to theinnergameofaging.com. That's theinnergameofaging, no spaces, dot com. Stay with us as we learn the many ways of being older without growing old.